Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey everybody, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Dr. Andrew Whitman. If you guys were with us last week, you listened to Willpower Meets Action. This week we're going to talk about facing your fears. And I think it's really great to talk to uh, Dr. Andrew Whitman where you can learn more about him at GetWarriorTough.com because this guy is a master at facing fears. And I think that He's probably a master, not so much because he's got this great combat experience, but he has raised three kids successfully and kept his marriage together, which tells me that you know how to face some fears. Yeah, no, that's is true. And I, I, you know, I was saying that when my book on parenting came out, that it was tougher, you know, being a parent than it was being in combat. Because I'll tell you why. When you have kids, right, you're so emotionally invested in them that every little hiccup, you feel it like magnified. Like if, if I got sick, I don't care. But if my kid's sick, especially as an infant, and I can't do anything for them, I mean, you, you want to talk about fear. They like goes, you know, holy smoke, right? All the stuff that goes through your mind. Well, I think that's the difference is, is in some areas you can, you can fight, you can do, you can, but when somebody's sick or somebody's dying, like in the case of my mom, I used to think of myself as this extremely capable person that can get through anything, do anything, solve anything. And then you're faced with, you know, metastatic breast cancer and you're like, okay, well, you know, there's a good lesson that we don't control outcomes as right. much and as I- we like to think we can. And that's the key right there to facing your fear. What is? You understand that it's not, you can't control the outcome. The only, and that's why we fear is because we're fearing the outcome. But we only fear the worst outcome. Like when you look at. Right. No one's ever worrying about the good outcome. Like, oh my <laughs> gosh, what would I do if I won the sweepstakes? You know, no one fears that. Right. I mean, it's like we fear losing our house, losing our car, losing our health, losing our spouse. You know, we fear loss. Right. And you're emotionally invested in that. And, um, and that's the thing is like, so, and, and I teach this, you know, in my corporate stuff and in my coaching, right? We, the difference between fact and truth, right? So let's just lay a little foundation. If you were like, when I was a cop and I was in court, I would enter facts into evidence, but the witnesses would swear to tell the truth. Now, which one's more reliable, witnesses or evidence? Right. Like evidence, right? So facts and truth are two different things. What right, is so, truth? Let me, let me just take a segue here because I want to know yeah. what truth is because to me, the kids are always saying, that's not true. I'm going to Google it. That's not true. What is truth? Okay, so f- facts, let's start with what facts are. Facts are just independent pieces of information that are verifiable. They're not positive. So here, it's South Carolina. It's 96 degrees out today. That's a fact, 96 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, if I had just flown in from Alaska where it was like 40 degrees out, my truth would be that it's so hot here. Got it. But because I live here all the time, my truth was it's just another day in South Carolina. It's not hot. What are you talking about? It's just a regular day. You see, that's my truth. My truth is my perception of what the facts are. And that's the same thing with an eyewitnesses. They're telling what they saw, what they perceived. 
of what of the facts that happened. It's their perception. That's why two witnesses can see the exact same thing and have two different stories, and neither of them are lying. They're both telling the truth. And our mind does fill in facts. When I was first in journalism school at Northwestern, they had this staged event where we were all in the classroom and somebody ran in and grabbed the teacher's purse and ran out. Right, right. And then there's 30 students. And, you know, was he black, white, you know, short, tall, fat, thin, red hair? Yeah, have a shotgun? I mean, the, the stories that came out from there, nobody was completely right and nobody was completely wrong. Right. So now I like to look at this as, and this is where fears come from. If you looked at the fact is like, so I'm holding a, uh, a mug, right. And let's say it's a 12 ounce mug and it had six ounces of liquid in it. Now to you, is it half full or half empty? Right. Both of you are right. If you said it's half empty, it's correct. If you said it's half full, that's also correct. Both of them are truth. But the fact is there's six ounces of liquid in a 12-ounce glass. Now, if you look at something and say it's half empty, you're not wrong. However, what you're doing is looking at all the stuff that you don't have. If you say it's half empty, you're looking at all, if I had a full glass, I could do this, I could do that. If I had more than this half glass, look at all the stuff I could do. If you're a half full person, I'm not saying you're an optimist, but a half full person will look at it and say, this is what I do have. How can I maximize my six ounces of liquid? Right? So that's, that's how you overcome your fears. Instead of freaking out about what you don't have and what's, what all the bad things that can happen, hey, what do I have in my hand and how can I use this to my best possible advantage? Now, when I set my brain in that, um, down that track, then I can overcome and override my fears. Fears are truth. Danger is a fact. Like when I'm getting shot at or like you don't lay down on the highway on the I-10 out there because you will get run over. That's danger, right? You know, it's it's also a fear that if I even get on the I-10, I'm going to get in a wreck. Well, you're probably not going to get in a wreck. Right, right. 10 million cars on the freeway. Who says right. it's going to be you? But so, okay, so let's translate this to, to some really common uh, sure. fears I think people have. Like, I think one of the greatest fears people have today, and it's shown by Forbes where people are more afraid of running out of money in their retirement than death itself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that shows a lot about our society, but money fears. Because money is one of those things where one, how much is enough? And I think about the times when my kids were really small and after my bills were paid, I had $43 left. That was my absolute low. I mean, no savings, no anything, you know, single mom, yeah. two kids, paid my mortgage, paid everybody, paid the insurance, fed us, clothed us. And $43 left. And I used to cry because I only had $43 left. And recently I told this story in front of a group of women. And one of the ladies says, wow, you did it. And you still had $43 left. Right. Because they don't have any. Well, and I just thought to myself, why did I think of that as negative? Why wasn't I happy that I did pay all those bills as a single mom with two kids in Southern California? Not easy. I should have been going, yippee Kaye, you did it again this month. Right. But I didn't. I looked at the negative. Is it easier for us to look at the negative than the positive? No, it's how you train yourself. And again, this is kind of spinning off of what we talked about last week with the willpower. Right. You tr if you train yourself habitually, I'll say it like this. In neuroscience, the neurons that fire together wire together. 
Got it. So the first time that you look at something and go negatively, you're like a trailblazer in the Amazon with a machete. You're cutting a new path and you're seeing all the things that could go wrong, blah, blah, right? And then the second time you go down that path and you're complaining and seeing things negatively, it's a dirt trail. By about the fourth or fifth time, it's like you got a six-lane I-10 highway out there and you're doing 85 miles an hour and you couldn't possibly see anything good because you're driving so fast down the negative highway. Now, you trained yourself to do that. You can also untrain yourself so that you only see good things. Like, that's me. I've trained myself. I mean, it drives people insane because, like, I always say this, when bad news happens, get happy. People are like, what? I'm like, right, because every time something bad that you consider bad, quote, quote, bad, somebody, like I'll say this, in the Depression, people got rich. Yes. Right? Uh, like, in the recession, people made money. Sure. Like, if it's possible, right, so it's a bit, how are you looking at it? How can I use this to my best possible advantage? And if you see all the good things, and here's what I call it, right? Going nuclear with gratitude. If you start looking at all the things you're grateful for and you train yourself that way, it's very difficult for you to be in fear. Rob and Dr. Whitman, you know, right now is a really good time to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor is Sleep Number. And if you guys want to experience the effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 smart bed, just go into any one of their 600 Sleep Number stores nationwide. You can find one near you at sleepnumber.com slash military mom because they're having a Veterans Day sale. You can save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number 360 special edition smart bed, which is now only $17.99, plus exclusive savings for military and vets. Now, Rob, we know from military heroes to everyday heroes, the new Sleep Number 60 smart bed helps everyone get the proven quality sleep that will change their life. And today, you mm -hmm. know, we're talking about facing your fears, kind of what fear does to you. And, you know, Rob, it really cripples me. And the worst time in the day that my fears get to me is always like two, three o'clock in the morning. You know, I'm sound mm. asleep. I wake up and that's when I find, um, if my bed is uncomfortable, mm -hmm. it's just brutal. You know, I can't get back to sleep. And then mm -hmm. when you don't sleep well, it impacts your creativity, your mood, your patience, your willpower, but more mm -hmm. importantly, physical and mental health. And that's what, you know, this fear management um, and how to make fear work for you, you know, why we're doing these shows with Dr. Whitman, mm. because fear really can ruin your sleep. And we spend a third of our life asleep. We do. You know, it's interesting you say that, that you wake up and, and uh, I think in the middle of the night, everything seems to be exacerbated. I know Steve calls 4 a.m. the dying time, and, and that would be the time when he was out in combat that the enemy would come and drop bombs on them or whatever, because it would be at that four o'clock, he would always wake up at 4am and have that sense of impending doom. And to this day, he still wakes up at 4am with this impending doom. And it's really hard for him to get back to sleep. And part of it is because he's probably not all that comfortable. And one of the things I think that the sleep number bed helps with is keeping that consistent comfort throughout the night. And then he isn't waking up at 4am with that impending doom. I think too, you know, having that prep before we go to bed and being able to shut down the technology, shut down the television, being able to um, eliminate a couple of hours before we go to bed that um, 
that blue light or that screen light because the your body starts to get that sense it's supposed to start slowing down the melatonin kicks in and that's when we start to get sleepy so um i think between being able to sort of have that let go of that fear of missing something you know we are in such a technology world and we're always afraid we're going to miss one more message we're, we're going to miss one more piece of data that we need and we need to sort of let go of that and be able to get ready to have a good night's sleep avoid the screens be in that proper frame of mind well, i got to tell you it's really yeah well, i, I agree does it too. my dad wakes up my dad did four on four off watches so my dad wakes yeah up. you know he doesn't sleep more than four hours at a clip and you know one of the things that's tough especially you know i've got a couple you know veterans in my family same yeah thing. you know they they can fall asleep they can't stay asleep and then stay yeah digital device you know when they're angry mm -hmm. or they're upset things like that it's it's really tough because you're right it does wake you up and mm -hmm. just an item of interest uh, according to the sleep number research the optimum sleep environment is 65 degrees with 65 percent humidity mm -hmm. and that's when your body remains thermally neutral which means you don't have to do anything to either get warm or or cool off so yeah that's you know, so fascinating trouble, you know because military goes with sleeplessness i don't care if you're yeah. <laughs> a kid, a spouse, you know, you know, active duty, retired, you know, mm -hmm. nervous, who, who cares what it is? Your sleep's going to get disrupted. And mm. so we want to do the best we can. And Rob, you guys have different sizes in your bed. And I think yeah. that's what's really cool. Cause you know, I'm a 40, um, my, I sound so awful, but my boyfriend is more mm -hmm. like a 50, 60 and sometimes mm -hmm. as high as a 70. I mean, cause he's, he likes to sleep on the floor. If his back's bothering me, he lays on the floor. So sure. for us to find something that's comfortable is really difficult. And what I like about it is the sleep number bed allows you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support because you know, we're not the same. We're not built the same. I mean, we're right. athletic, but mm -hmm. you and Steve are like a foot apart in height. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm this little, and, and I tend to curl up and he tends to sprawl out. So for him, uh, he likes a firmer bed. He's upwards of a 60 or 70. I'm, I'm sort of cushy and I want, you know, the cur my curves to kind of get supported. Well, I'm a corner hugger. I go up to the top uh, corner. Yeah. I'm a corner hugger. And <laughs> You know, I kind of, kind of, you know, and you know, it's not like we don't have a great big bed, but he's a sprawler. Yeah. I have a corner hugger, yeah. and you know, it's fun in the morning to see the the um, sleep IQ technology. I mean, I think I, I kind of live by it. I get up and I'm yeah. like, because you know, it explains so much. Like if I looked mm -hmm. and I tossed and turned all night, and I woke up a lot, you know, I really had a crappy mm -hmm. night's sleep. You know, for whatever reason, I'm not as harsh on myself in the morning. And, you know, like, cause I get to work and I'm like, oh, I'm really dragging. I don't know what's yeah. wrong. Well, yeah. Now I know what's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I can also make some adjustments, Rob. Like mm -hmm. normally I work out between four 30 and six, come home, make dinner, feed everybody. If I've had a really bad night's sleep and it shows on my, my, you know, sleep number report, mm -hmm. I will actually go to the gym in the morning and try to get a little workout in just to get that energy boost to get me through the day. Because if I don't, I'm dragging all day. Then I try to go to my workout. I drag through my workout and then I'm crabby with the kids at night. You know, you can make adjustments or you can change your schedule around. Mm -hmm. Many of us can choose, you know, you have to go to work, but you can choose what you do when. Right. 
Right, right. You know what also I love is the Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movements and automatically adjusts adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. I mean, I think as the night goes on, we do, uh, it, it, unless we're supported well or or the the bed is is not comfortable, you're going to wake up and you are going to have that that restless night. But I love the fact that the Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movements um, and it adjusts to keep you at an optimum level all through the night. The only thing I wish that the Sleep Number bed had is I wish it could like bring me a glass of water and a snack. Like <laughs> sometimes I wake up because I'm hungry. I'm like, sleep number, get me a, get me a drink or cheeses, you know, all those things. Um, but you it's know, around the corner. Now, let's, let's say right around the corner. We're gonna, around it'll the have corner. a little Roomba kind of attachment that can drive down to the kitchen, you know, pick up me some snacks and bring it back to bed. And I know we're not supposed to eat at night, but boy, sometimes I get so hungry in the middle of the night. I'll wake up and my stomach's like, oh, oh, oh. so for those of you that want to experience the smart effortless comfort of the sleep number 360 smart bed during the veterans day sale save a thousand dollars on the new sleep number 360 special edition smart bed now only 17.99 plus exclusive savings for military and vets you'll only find sleep number at one of the 600 sleep number stores nationwide find one near you at sleepnumber.com slash military mom. When we were talking, Rob, about not sleeping and the military family, wife, kid, or husband, you know, whatever it is, nobody <laughs> sleeps like I can hear Dr. Whitman just chuckling in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So, you know, we're, we're talking about fears. We're talking about facing mm-hmm. our fears. And, and, you know, when we were talking about gratitude, I was thinking, you know, hope is the opposite of fear. And if I looked at that $43 and go, wow, I did it again this month and I still have 43 extra for next month. That's less than I have to do next month. I mean, those are real choices that you can make. And let's, can we talk about hope or you, you got something, what do yeah. you want to say? Well, I was, yeah, I was just going to key off of what you said with hope. Now, if you look, the original, if the meaning of the word hope is actually confidence. So a lot of people, people are like hoping, I'm um, hoping it's more like wishing. Hope is not wishing hope confidence and a confident expectation. So if you did put fear on a whiteboard, if we're going to draw on a whiteboard here, like, and, and put fear on one end and draw a line, the opposite of that would be confidence or hope, like you said, but confidence. The reason that you have fear is because you're not confident. And the, the greater your level of confidence, the less your level of fear. Right. Now, let's take the money issue with retirement. The reason you're fearing is because you, people that fear about money and retirement is because they don't have confidence that they know what to do about how to make money out of their money. They've put their money in a 401k and it's probably managed by somebody else and they have no idea what's going on behind the curtain. If you don't, if you're sick of that fear, go learn how to make money off your money. Once you know how to do it, what to do and when to do it, suddenly you're confident on how to take your money and make money with it instead of turning it over to somebody else, you won't fear it anymore. And that's the same thing with anything. Peyton Manning with football, right? He said, the only reason I don't fear going back in the pocket is because I know what to do and how to do it and when to do it. My confidence level, I've trained myself. I know the game of football in and out. I'm so confident in what I'm doing that I don't fear it. If I get hit, yeah, I know it's going to get hurt, boom, and then I'm back up and we're on to the next play. You don't fear stuff when you're confident. Right. Right, and you have choices, and you have – I think the, the, when you have a lot of fear, it's not only because you've lost your confidence, but it's also confusing. It's all these, all these emotions come in. And when you've done something repetitively, there's very little emotion to it anymore. 
you know, I used to drive these canyons in Malibu, you know, like, I don't know, 500, a thousand sheer foot drop in my yep. little Miata zipping along. And, you know, my mom would ride with me going like, you're going too fast, you're going, you can't see that curve. I had done it for 10 years and, you know, yeah, I probably was going too fast, but I was a very confident driver because I had driven it thousands of times. So yeah. there wasn't a whole lot of fear in that versus somebody driving it the first time. You just and, right, stumbled onto the scientific magic right there. It's called desensitization. Uh, if you do the thing that you fear over and over and over again, and you were successfully navigated those curves without a crash, yep. you desensitized yourself to the fear. So that's what I always coach all my, my clients to do. Whatever they fear most, we're going to do a lot of it. If you tell me what you, if you make the mistake of telling me, you know, like what was that show? Fear factor. Yep. Right. If you fear snakes, guess what? We're hanging out with snakes until you get over it. Right. We're going to learn how to handle snakes. I'm not going to just put you in a snake pit. What I'm going to do is take you down to that crocodile Dundee guy and teach you how to deal with reptiles, know what to do, how to do. And now you're confident as you learn. Right. And the more confidence you get, the less you will fear reptiles and snakes. See, this is the key to everything. Well, and it's the key to, um, I had a rattlesnake in my bedroom um, this summer, <laughs> and my dad saw it go down the hallway. The kids were like, Mom, Mom, get it out. Well, the first time I got it with this big, like, um, wire uh, garbage can, like a ba- you know basket, because I knew he couldn't yeah. break through the wire, right. and he was maybe like two feet long, and I'm afraid of snakes, and I got him. And then I put the cover on it and I took him outside and I, I only went across to the neighbor's house and threw him over there because there's a big field behind there. Threw him at the neighbor's house. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like the neighbor. <laughs> but, but that snake came back. Four days later, it came in through my laundry room. It came in through, we yeah. figured out how he came in. He didn't go he had, far enough. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't take him far enough. But this time he wasn't having anything of leaving my bedroom. Yeah. And he was, you know, coiled and then he's like, you know, Shaking, and, yeah, right. Yeah, and it's 10 o'clock on a Sunday night, and I'm rolled. There, what else are you going to do? I can't shoot it. So I got these huge, long marshmallow forks that the kids use. <laughs> For s'mores? Yeah. Yep, and I chased him under the china cabinet, and he got all thing in the back, and I just shut my eyes, and I went, and I have a picture, which I'll send to you, of me yeah. holding the rattlesnake with these two tongs. But now I'm not afraid of them anymore. I mean, I'm still you know, we're not your favorite. Yeah. They're they're not not your favorite because there is danger. Listen, there's danger with rattlesnakes. That's real. That's real. But if you know how to be smarter than the snake and you know what their behavior is and you know what to do with them, then you don't fear them. Right. And And I think facing it was a big deal for me. Correct. And that's the, that's the thing. And you get desensitized the more you did it. If you had a rattlesnake, but listen, if that happened every night for two weeks, by the end of two weeks, you would just come in, you'd be like, and get the thing, throw it out, and we're like, we're doing this again. Like you'd be taking out the cat. It would be literally like taking out the cat. Yeah. But it's hard. You know, it's, it, not all of us are lucky enough to have a rattlesnake in our house to face our fears on a Sunday night. So what about the fears we can't face? Like the fears of death or the fears of sickness or the fears of maybe financial loss. I mean, these are very real events that happen in people's lives you can't practice death you know that's really a one and done yeah that's not a big right so what and and if you fear i mean if you honestly fear death then again it's kind of like what we talked about last week is retraining your get off a different track you're gonna have to train you don't uh you're not gonna be able to uh say stop fearing death that's not gonna work what you'd have to do is replace that with something else so what you need to do like and, and this is what i counsel all my clients Let's make a list of all the things you're grateful for in life. 
and and then I'm going to write that list every day and see how many things I, like so and I my list is like half of my adult life Sandra I live without plumbing because I'm in the desert somewhere getting shot at I don't have electricity half the time I'm sleeping on the ground mm. so listen if I have indoor plumbing I'm super grateful if I have an actual bed that I can sleep in that's under you know sheltered without being out yeah. exposed to the elements I'm grateful electricity I'm grateful like and and I haven't even gotten to the important stuff like you know like garbage pickup. Like I'm so grateful that they come and pick up my garbage that it doesn't just, you know, get piled up in front of my house because I've lived in, I've been in places where the sewage is in the streets and the garbage is everywhere. Right. So, and you start to begin to be grateful for what you do have pretty soon. You stop even thinking like, what were we talking about again? Fear of what? Right. I can't even remember. Right. See, see how we just did that. I, we just changed the track of our mind completely. Me talking about plumbing. Like, that's how easy it is. Right. So you just got on a different train. Yeah. And I say it's easy. It's really, it's simple, but you have to, sometimes you physically have to do it. And I'll do this. There's been times where you can't shut something off in your mind. Yeah. Well, then it's time to get up and I'll go watch a movie, right? Or I'll go for a run. And if I still can't get it off my mind that I'm playing a different playlist, I will go to the amusement park. We're going to the, I'm going to go do something physically, get my body, go do something else to change the track, right? Whether it's play around the golf, whatever it is, whatever your thing is that would get you off right the track. And sometimes it's stuff that, you know, people be like, that's crazy talk. Why would you even do that? Like go uh, do right water rafting. Listen, if you're in, you really like, if that, you don't whitewater raft a lot and you get the rapids and now I'm fearing whitewater, I'm not fearing anything else because I'm just trying to get through whitewater raft. I'm not worrying about whatever I was worrying about because I have this thing that's bigger in front of me. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the things, you know, watching my mom um, with her cancer over five years and watching her fight this battle and, you know, watching the, the doctors do their best and all these treatments, it really did show me how silly most of the things that we worry about most of the things we get upset about most of the things that anger us really don't matter when you look at the grand scheme of things but i think it's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day minutiae especially with our snowflake kids these days you know their instant gratification everything's yeah. instant, instant instant um it's a conscious effort to school yourself and your children in the art of gratitude because yes. they say the words, but without any feeling behind it or any knowledge or experience, then you're dead in the water. Correct. I mean, and that, you know, we could get off on a whole rabbit trail, but, but yeah, just, just knowing, just saying by rote certain words, like give me the script, like that doesn't mean anything. Like you definitely, it has to mean something to you. Yeah. So how do you teach your kids? How do you, you know, I've, I've always shown my kids, it's easy when I go home to my little hometown, you know, there's nothing there. There's for the longest time, we only had three television channels and no Wi-Fi and no, you know, phone, you go up the street to use the phone. So it's helpful for my kids to go, Hey, you know, look at all you do have, but in an era where we have just conspicuous consumption and the next video game, the next video game, you know, you see it with these kids. How do we, how do we, teach especially our millennial hires i don't know about you but i'm having some really fun challenges with my millennial hires yeah and i that's funny you say because i i don't focus on uh generations as much as i do mindsets um and if i could get so 
if because I'm, I always laugh because I have people that are like my age, you know, and our age or whatever, and they complain about millennials. I'm like, well, you raised them. I have one VP that he's like screaming about millennials and his son is the classic quintessential millennial. I'm like, dude, I know your kid. You raised that kid. That kid is like the poster child of what you're complaining about because right? so, you didn't teach him. So I don't even want to hear it, man. Right. Stop complaining about it. Right. So that's the first thing. Second thing is I, I, I have great connection with all, I don't know, it's like younger millennials and Gen Zers, which are like my kids are right. right. And that, because my oldest is a senior at the Citadel and then his brother's a sophomore. And then my little girl, she's a sophomore in high school. I, it's very easy for me to connect with all those kids because I talk to them not based on their generation, but based on mindset. Mm-hmm. Right. And my, I, I talk about my, do you have a defeated mindset? Is it a survival mindset? Are you average minded? You just want to be comfortable and have security. You know, are you a tyrant where you're looking out for number one, but you do have some success or what an elite warrior, what I call an elite warrior mindset where you, your mindset is I'm the problem and I'm the solution. If I have a problem, it's me. Um, but the, the good news is I'm the solution to every problem there. Right. So, and that's what I've taught all my kids and their friends, you know, the ones that, you know, come around, hang around the house, we teach them those mindsets. And so then, you know, you can overcome all that by just changing the mindset. If we can get you to an elite warrior mindset where you listen, listen, I don't allow any complaining or listen, you can tell me the problem one time just to tell me the problem. Then after that, you better bring solutions because you're the problem and you're the solution. Don't tell me about that teacher. Don't tell me about the government or the economy or the tax structure. Listen, if you have a problem, it's you. But the good news is you're also the solution. Absolutely. I mean, that was that extreme ownership is one of the things that got me through the recession as a single mom, because I would go to these business meetings and they'd be like, oh, the bottom's falling out of real estate, the stock market, the this, the that. And I, Perfect. Yeah, that's what I'm right, like. That's exactly. fantastic. That's an opportunity for me to make a killing. But I started telling my dad and my friends, like, look, I am a media blackout. I got rid of television. I got rid of, I purposely wouldn't go to any of the news channels because, you know, none of that helped me get to work. Right. And let me, that's like that you hit on that. This is another, like a big thing about fear. What are you feeding on? If you notice all that stuff is all fear-based, everything on the news is like the bottom's going to drop. Oh my gosh. Like every hurricane season, it's going to be the worst hurricane. Everybody, you know, is going to die. Everybody. (laughs) Right. I mean, they even say that on the news. Like, why would you even say that, man? First off, even if it was the worst storm ever, everybody is not going to die. Okay. Yes, we need to take it serious. But everything they do is ramp it up to fear. Right. And the same thing with marketing. They try to use fear to get you to buy stuff. Right. Oh, my gosh. What if this happened? Right. That's the whole thing with like health insurance or life insurance. Right. It's all peace of mind. We're selling peace of mind. Now, what you're doing is you're trading on fear. Right. So shut all that stuff off if it's making you fear and then start feeding on stuff that helps, you know, build your confidence, that helps build your gratitude. What are you feeding on? Like you should be listening to like this, this show, like this is a good thing to feed on instead of feeding on something that gets you all stirred up. Well, and, and, you know, a lot of it is monitoring. Like I used to monitor like my feelings, how I felt. And when I was building my second business, um, the one that I, I had to give up in the divorce was really hard for me to let go. So I thought, well, I built it once I'll build it again. And it was in an economy that wasn't favorable and wasn't favorable for lending. So I'm like, okay, well, if they're not going to lend to me, you know, how can I get the capital that I need? And I, you know, instead of saying, oh, the economy's bad, it's a bad time, I'm single, I'm divorced, I'm a single mom, like all those are really easy excuses. Right. But they felt false to me. And that's where like, you know, you have to kind of look at your inner being and go, what am I really afraid of? Because I came from nothing. I came from a small town. So anything 
above that, I win. And yeah. what failure really is there? You can lose money while well, you can always gain it again. Right. You know, what, what really is the biggest fear? You know, right now I'm in, in a battle, you know, refinancing this house and, you know, working on some financial things because I don't want to be a slave to my mortgage. And when I go to battle, I go into battle going, I can't lose either way. So if they don't, I sell the house, I buy something different, maybe better. And if I stay in the house, I know where I am and I can prove it even better. So there's a no lose mentality if you look at all your options. Right. And I'll, and this is another thing that we teach athletes as well, what you just stumbled on. I don't get emotionally invested in the outcome, either a win or a loss. I don't get emotionally invested in it because this isn't the end. And I, you know, if you're going to lose that house, guess what? They make better houses than that one every day. They make bigger ones, better ones. Right. What if I get my car repo? They make them every day and they make better ones than that one. Right. My kids fighting over the fruity pebbles. Hey guys, what, what, you know, what's the rule around here? They make it every day. Right. And we'll go to the store and buy some more. You know, if we run out, they make it every day. Relax. Right. I mean, that's the thing because whether I get upset about it or not upset, whether I stay up at night or go to sleep, because some of my friends say, wow, if I were you, and my dad has said this to me and I, I call it planting worries or planting fears because yeah. it really doesn't cross my mind because they'll say things like, wow, if I was a single mom like you and I'm faced with two college educations and, you know, I've got a mortgage to you know, choke a horse and two acres in Southern California, I would, couldn't sleep at night. And I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be sleeping at night. No, that's when you go, yeah, I know. That's why God picked me to do it and not you. <laughs> you couldn't do it. But the thing is, if you just get up every day and do your best, that's enough. I mean, my Absolutely. are really simple. Like, I don't look at, you know, what you have and what you have and where I rank. Mm. Like, if I get up and I do what I, my intention to, that I set the night before, I write out my three intentions before I go to bed. If I hit those three intentions, and even if I don't, I'm here, I'm breathing, I made a difference. Did I make mistakes? Of course. But nothing you can do is so egregious that you can't get up the next day and redo your day. Every day is a new day. You're just dropping mad wisdom right now. I hope Am people I are listening. Mad wisdom? Yeah, it's just so right on. Like, seriously, like, it doesn't get any better than what you just said. Like, here's the, the ultimate failure is that you, that you, if you did mess up, that you don't get up the next morning and go back to work. I mean, and I say go back to work, go back to working on you know, success and fulfillment and happiness in your life, however you define it. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you this great story about what I think is my greatest success story. You would think it's other things, but it, I wrote this book, Andrew, when I was in my twenties, when I was a published author and I had all these things and um, it was going to be a four part series and I sold it and I got a contract and then um, I had kids. I never finished it. Then I, resurrected it again. And then I went through this heinous divorce and didn't finish it again. And, um, over the summer I decided to enter the first 10 pages in a contest and one <laughs> got That's myself awesome. a literary agent and it's in developmental editing right now. And wow. this is something I started, I kid you not 20 years ago. 
and it never left. You know, it was always hanging around there. Yeah. Like, you know, it fits and starts like an old car that wouldn't get started. Now I could look at that as a failure or I could look at it as one of the greatest success stories and it's written. So it's done. Whether somebody yeah. buys it, whether they publish it, whether it does you finished, anything. You finished, right. I finished it. But it took me 20 years to finally get it done. Yeah, that's okay. It took me like 30 years to finish my PhD, which was really writing the <laughs> dissertation at the end, writing that book. No, I mean, that's great. It's never over till you say it's over. Like, right. and that's another thing that with fear, people fear, well, what if it's, what if, you know, it's, hey man, it's never over till I say it's over. Right. Right. If you miss this deal of a lifetime, there's always another deal of a lifetime tomorrow. Right. Right. Hands down. Like if this publisher passes, okay, so what? That's the thing is, you know, I, I used to be many years ago, I was, um, I was waiting tables and who was the Notre Dame coach? What was his name? The famous one? Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz told me one time that he thought I was going to be really successful every day because I was the one who was cleaning the dishes, you know, cleaning up after everybody long after, you know, the Big Ten conference was over. And he's like, you have an attention to detail. He goes, you don't give up. He goes, I watched you fighting with that rack. He goes, you weren't going to, you know, <laughs> and the rack, you know, it's like twice my size, weighed twice as much as me. And I'm like, well, it just has to get done. There yeah. was no, like, why is it so hard, do you think, for people today, like these simple truths? Every day is a new day. Well, it just has to get done. We make mistakes. When we know better, we do better. Like, why are these things so hard today? Why is it so hard for people? Like, why do we all need coaches and everybody to keep us on track when so many of these home truths are just, they've been around forever? They've been around forever, but they're, they haven't been passed down. Mm. Right. So if you look at the bombardment of we're in the information age now. Right? right. And the bombardment of all this stuff that's coming down is not necessarily those things. And if you look at who we're surrounded with and you're right. Uh, great. You're, you're bringing up college coaches. John Wooden said that you'll never outperform your inner circle. Right. And so especially as parents, if I was surrounded myself with all my friends, were all just average, you know, people that just wanted average lives that were just hoping for security or comfort. And they were negative, you know, the gossipers, the PTA moms that run down each other and judge the other, you know, Right. If that's who I surrounded myself, then that's who my kids are. They're going to pick up on all that because they're going to be with their friends and they all hear that kind of right. So, but we, I surround myself with people that we have these kind of truths. So my kids got them and they'll pass them down to their kids. So a lot of it is programming and where that's why, man, after school, I always do more teachable stuff after school. I want to hear what the, what, what was said to my kid today that was dropped in outside the lesson plan. Like I had one, one teacher said that told uh, my little girl was in third grade. Uh, if you were rich, what would you do with a million dollars? You know, so Mick is, she came up with all this stuff. And she says, well, greedy, you shouldn't even want a million dollars because you're greedy. And I'm like, well, Mick, you now I have to undo that because you know right. what? You actually can help people with a million dollars. But if you don't have a million dollars, who can you help? Right. Like you can't even help you. Right. right. So, and that's a kind of average minded, you know, thinking that our conventional wisdom that's out there, that our kids really don't get that. They get this other stuff. Right. And, and now up is down and down is up. And you know, it's uh, evil is good and good is evil. That's the society that we're living in right now. Right. Those truths that you're talking about, that would uh, like be triggering somebody. I have to go to my safe space because how dare you say that to me? <laughs> well, and that, that was one of the, the, the key factors in, in ending my marriage because philosophical differences, you know, one had the opinion of, you know, get as much money as you can for the least amount of work possible. And, you know, you hear that a lot, like, oh, you know, but I 
I ascribe to the fact is make a lot of money and do the best possible. Like do your best, be your best. Nobody's asking you to, you know, dig ditches with a toothpick. You know, we want to be smart about things, right? but, but to say that you want to make the most amount of money with the least amount of effort, that to me is really short-sighted. And it's also, right. And do you want to pass that down to your kids? Teach them to be lazy is basically what you're saying. Right, right. Teach them to be lazy. Teach them to, you know, to get something for nothing. Because here's the thing. I've had jobs where I get something for nothing. I'm on the radio. I talk for a living. (laughs) I get paid a lot of money sometimes, a phenomenal amount of money for a minute or two of advertising. And I'm really grateful for those things. But let's be real. For somebody to get paid thousands of dollars to read something for 30 seconds or read a commercial and get thousands of dollars for a voiceover, I'm sorry, that's money for nothing. That money is nice and it affords their braces, but I don't look back on that and feel really proud of myself because of what I'm accomplished. You there don't have are any other fulfillment. Ways. Yeah, there's no fulfillment with it. There's no fulfillment. Like it's great. Yeah, did I make a lot of money for very little effort? Sure. I, I fulfilled that thing. But at the end of the day, it's like cotton candy. Yeah, and you can't live on that. Well, you no. could try, but <laughs> I just saw where some kid in Britain was eating nothing but French fries and Pringles and he ended up being blind. Did you see that? That was no. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. yeah. So I'm like, Oh, it's legit. We have science now. I wish this we was out like science. 20 years ago. Yeah. Oh All my you eat God. is French fries and Pringles. You're going to go blind. No, we have actually a case about it now. Yeah, well, and it, you know, there's something to be said and you know, you and I are at the point, you know, we're not 20 years old anymore, but we're not 80 years old that you get to the point where you go, Hey, wait a minute this is supposed to be fun. I'm supposed to enjoy my life. Like not every single minute of every single day, but I want to accomplish things in my life that I can look back at and go, Hey, this is pretty great. Yeah, absolutely. Because otherwise, why are we doing it? Well, that's it. And that's my, my, my question about, you know, when I look at the fears of many of my peers about retirement, or I look at the fears of my children or my nieces and nephews of not having enough, well, let me say this, and I, you know, man, you're making me say stuff I don't really want to say, but because you get me in trouble. But here's the real, here's the real deal with all that is you don't have a purpose. If you don't know your purpose in life, you will always have those fears. Once you know your purpose, there is no more fear. That's right. Okay, and that's and Rosa Parks said that. Once you know your purpose, then fear you override that. But if you don't know your purpose, then fear will always, right, uh, keep you paralyzed. See, so all these I, people that are, yeah, they don't have a purpose in life. You don't know your purpose and you're just going, you're on the rat wheel, right? You're just, you know, trying to, you know, going faster and faster, trying to get enough for retirement or this, or that, but you don't even have a purpose. So of course you're right. always going to be operating in fear. Well, but that's, that's the acquisition mentality. You know, and I see a lot of this acquisition mentality, how many cars are enough, how big is, how many houses do you need? How many, you know, and none of those things in itself are a bad thing, but Things cannot be your purpose. And that's why I'm so glad that you went with me down this rabbit hole, because there is a lot of media out there that say things or power, success, celebrity, that those are somehow tangible things that you can win or lose. And there's a fear base to them. But that gets all mixed up with your purpose. Like when you have your purpose, when you know what your purpose is, then you're really pretty clear and the guardrails are organically in place because in order to fulfill your purpose, you have to stay on track. Yes, absolutely. And once you decide what your purpose is, all the choices in life are easy. 
That's right. And it's, is this helping me or hurting me fulfill my purpose? Like, that's the question. You, I mean, I asked that to my kids too. Once I had, we figured out what their purposes were. They had, they write it down in their journals. We come up with it and then you're playing Xbox for like nine hours. And then I don't, instead of yelling at them, I'm just asking, Hey, are you guys still planning on doing this? Is this still your purpose in life? Yes. Well, is playing Xbox for nine hours. Is that helping you or hurting you fulfill your purpose? You know? And then it's like, <sighs> Yeah, right. Hurting, <laughs> hurting, you know, and then they shut it off, right? So, but, but people don't take the time to find out what their own purpose is, right? And then they definitely don't pass it on to their kids because they're like, kids, I don't know, what are you going to college for? Well, I don't know. You know, what are you going to major in? I don't know. What are you going to do when you get out? I don't know. And then the parents would be like, well, I didn't either. And I turned out okay. I'm like, really? Because the last 40 minutes was you complaining about your life, complaining about your spouse, complaining about your job. And now your kids are on that same track. So you didn't turn out okay. Right. No, I think of my dad, you know, my dad, I was a surprise, you know, at the end of the, the family line. And, you know, I think I'm very lucky to be in that position because, you know, I've got to watch my brothers and sisters. But, but the one thing my dad always said was like, no matter what you choose as a career, you better like it because you're going to do it a long time and you're going to do it every day. And when I went to business school, it was all about structure and money and money and structure and structure and money and money. And the concept of passion, <laughs> what you're passionate about, was not anywhere in my education. Um, that no, I can because in education, they're, they're, well, here's what the education system is trying to build a good employee, someone that will just be a robot. Mm. They don't care about your fulfillment and purpose. You're trying, what, and this is, this is my, another rabbit hole, right? Public mm. education, they're not teaching your kids critical thinking. They're not teaching them creative, you know, how to problem solve or any of that. What they're teaching them is how to solve a problem that we already know the answer to, and you solve it in the problem in the manner we want it solved or else we punish you right? because we want you to be a robot. And so when you come work for my big business or my little bit, whatever, when I hire you as an employee, I want you to just do what I say to do and do my process. That's why that's all structure oriented. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that's, that's what it is. It has nothing to do with pur the purpose is to create little employees. Got it. Got yeah. it. That would explain why I clash so much with certain things because I always, when my kids were born, I knew my job was to raise leaders. They always embodied leadership characteristics, even as little kids. So I knew like, you know, I'm, I'm empowered and I'm designed to raise these kids to be great leaders. I myself has studied leadership because I never, I never could fill that box effectively of the good employee I had too many ideas, too, you know, too many, right. too much drive, too much whatever. Um, but I think one of the things that makes a great leader is the recognition that you're going to be afraid. There's going to be times you're going to be oh, afraid. Yeah. I'm afraid about certain decisions I've made. I've had been sleepless nights, but that's just part and parcel of the decision-making process. And if you didn't have, if you didn't ever feel afraid, I don't think you could be a very good leader. Right. And I'm going to, and my, I just had this conversation with my kids, right? <laughs> Every time I get on the podium, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm a, you know, public speaking is very easy for me. Even before I get on the mic here, I'm talking to you. I still get nervous. Sure. Right? And, and, and my little girl plays lacrosse. I get, she gets nervous every game. I'm like, that's good. Cause if you're not getting nervous, that means you're not taking it serious. If there's not some kind of twinge of, you know, whoa, you know, you're not taking it serious enough. Um, and, and so I would definitely check that. So if, if you, as a leader, you're, you don't, I mean, how could you like, if you, cause as a leader, I care about my people and I care about fulfilling the mission. 
if, if you literally, it doesn't, nothing bothers you, then you're probably not fulfilling your purpose or it ain't big enough or you don't care about your people. I mean, it's right. one of those. Or yourself. Yeah, or yourself. If you don't care about yourself, we got bigger problems. We got bigger problems than that. Yeah. But yeah, because fear is a natural, I think fear is a natural byproduct of the unknown. You know, it's natural to go, well, I don't know what the outcome is. And you can say you're detached and, you know, do your best to detach. But if you're making a decision that's an unknown, that outcome that affects the livelihood or the um, health and well-being of those you care about. I think of yeah. being like the leader of my family, you know, a single mom, I'm leading these two boys. There are decisions that um, people will encourage me to join their business, do this, whatever. And I'm like, look, I don't roll the dice on my family. Right. You can't be cavalier with them. Right. With those. And that's a good leader. A good leader is not cavalier with their decisions. And again, that's that critical thinking piece. I got to gather the information. I have to do my research, right? I need to meditate on this for a while right? I get good advice from my, my, my team of mentors. See, I have a team of mentors, people that I go to and run stuff by them, right? Not just one mentor. I have a whole team of them. Um, you know, so, uh, if you do all those things, and again, it's not that we're overriding action. Even if I have the fear, I'm still going to take action that once I've done my best, right? I did my homework and I gave my best effort. Right. And even if it didn't work out, all I have to do is learn from it and then cue it up again. Yep. Well, and you know, not everything's going to work out. Not everything's, you know, you're not going to hit a home run every single time, but even if it all goes sideways and I've had some business decisions, I had a marriage decision that went sideways. Um, you can make a mistake. Really? You can. And that was one thing that, that, I don't know if I was programmed that way or I acquired it and, and as you said, drove it down that neural pathway. I got to the point where I thought it was the end of the world if I made a mistake. And then I realized I make mistakes all the time, only we call it programming and creativity. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. And, that, and that's another thing about the public education is they get punished for making mistakes. Yeah. Right? And there's magic in mistakes. That's how we learn. Listen, you never learn from a win. Because what you do is you congratulate yourself. Man, wasn't I so smart in that deal? Wasn't I, you know, right? It's when you, if you learn is from your failures and we call it a failure and then I call it like that's a college class, right? So if I learn from it, then that's a win. Right. But I learn more stuff from when I screwed it up than when I did everything right. Because if I did everything right, I'm just too busy congratulating myself on how awesome I am instead of actually making course corrections and being better. Right. And do you find like most of the time I find that you might, I'd rather make my mistake early. Like I'd rather make my decision early and have time to correct it than wait to the um, last minute and then feel that pressure. Oh, I'm with you a hundred percent. I would like to get in front of stuff and then, you know, and this is what same thing I'm teaching um, like my daughter to drive, right? She's 15. And it's just like, and when the boys are driving, same thing. When you first start driving, you put your, your eyes like right in front of the car, right? You're there on the hood ornament almost where you're <laughs> looking on the road. Is right. I'm like, get your eyes up and look as far down the road as possible because it gives you time to make course corrections. The further down that you look, you get your eyes up because I'm a driving instructor too, right? If you get your eyes up and you look as far as you can down the road, then you can make course corrections when stuff happens. You have more time to react or co- course correct if you are making a mistake. Right. So yes, what you just said is a hundred percent right on. Awesome. Awesome. And since I'm teaching my 16 year old to drive, I'm going to teach him that eyeball trick this week. 
yeah, get your eyes up and as, as far down. So that's what we teach all the agents when we're, you know, training agents and, you know, uh, to operate in high threat diplomatic security. You got to get your eyes up and, and down the road as far as possible, right? And keep them down there. So, because you'll see everything in between, you know, if you look far, far to the horizon, you'll see everything in between. Your eyes will pick it up. But if you're focused on right in front of the car, you'll see nothing past that. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that's really important, I think, for these Los Angeles freeways, because yes. <laughs> there were so many times that, you know, I've been in, in multiple car accidents and I'm back far enough that I can get over the side of the road. I drove up one time on the dirt on the side of the road right. just to avoid hitting the vehicles in front of me. You have to have that. You have to have that forward vision. But I also think you have to have that forward vision for your life. You know, when I sit down and I plan every Sunday night, like when we're done with these recordings tonight, I'll sit down with all my planners for the week. I'll look, you know, and adjust. I've got, you know, a lot of, a lot of balls in the air, but I look at what the next break is going to bring, not the week I'm in the week after. Right. And I, and again, kind of back to purpose. I always like to use the wizard of Oz example, right? Um, every Dorothy scarecrow lion and tin man, they were all going to the Emerald city. Like they had their eyes downrange. The reason they're on this yellow brick road is to get to the Emerald City. If they didn't know where they were going and they didn't keep their eyes on the Emerald City and every day it was just getting up, dealing with flying monkeys, like that'll make you be afraid to even get up the next day because I know it's just going to be flying monkeys, monkeys for no purpose, right? So always look for your Emerald City, right? That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, all right. So if you liked what you heard today and you want to learn more about Dr. Andrew Whitman, go to getwarriortough.com. He's got a couple books on Amazon. He did a show with us last week called Willpower, I'm sorry, Willpower Meets Action. And in two weeks, he's going to come on again and we're going to talk about releasing negative baggage. So you're not going to want to miss that. We'll be back again next week. That's Dr. Andrew Whitman at getwarriortough.com. You folks. 80% of all doctor visits are stress-related. 80% of tension headaches are caused by stress. Most heart attacks occur around 9 a.m. on Monday. Stress is a major factor of anxiety, panic attacks, depression, and aggression, not to mention insomnia. And an estimated 24 million Americans use drugs to cope with stress. Depressing, isn't it? You're meant to live a happy, fulfilled life, and it is possible. Andrew Whitman can show you the way out. The way to deal with stress, to achieve, to break through limitations, and have an internal identity that calms the storm. Whether it's work or home, financial or emotional, get the tools you need to cope with the obstacles life brings you and still have peace. Mental training one-on-one will help you get what you want out of life. Visit GetWarriorTough.com to see testimonials from people just like you. Take control of stress. GetWarriorTough.com. Thanks for spending time with us today on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got more than 200 episodes available to you anytime on iTunes or at our website, MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. We look forward to another great conversation with you on Military Mom Talk Radio.